You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off this week. We're hearing some terrifying stories tonight from residents of a Surrey neighborhood. A shootout in the middle of the street that could easily have hurt or even killed someone. Ramina Dea is live in that neighborhood for us tonight. Ramina, we're talking about bullets fired into people's living rooms. Chris, there were several close calls yesterday. June and his family had actually just finished church. It was after the service. They came to the neighborhood to drop him off. The family parked the car here just meters away from where the bullets started flying. There were guys shooting indiscriminately towards the, the white sedan. They were shooting indiscriminately. I was trying to take cover in the front. June still nervous as he describes how he was hiding behind the car while yelling at his wife and two-year-old to take cover inside. Yesterday I was so scared with, with the safety of my family. That's, that was it. I have a two-year-old. Two suspects captured on surveillance camera, jumping out of a pickup truck and opening fire on a white sedan in a residential neighborhood at 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon. I saw the bullets hitting on the pavement. One of the bullets piercing the wall at Nikki Christian's house. From here, that's directly into the living room. Kids could have been here, my daughter. My the suspects still out there. Their truck discovered on fire. The 23 and 24-year-old victims found their own way to hospital. Their injuries non-life-threatening. Now, both victims are known to police uh, and they have been involved in the drug trade uh, in the past. It's just not acceptable in our community. We won't stand for it. This community activist says maybe it's time a local police force takes over. We would like the RCMP to step up their efforts and stay on top of these guys. Obviously they know who they are, or they should know who they are. Get on top of these guys, follow them around, and make sure they're not doing this and, and they're not a threat to our community. Surrey's mayor not commenting on camera because of the police investigation. The city says an unprecedented number of officers has been added in two years, 132 by the end of 2017. The guy was uh, shooting in this... June, not interested in the numbers. He wants the suspects behind bars. His message to the gunman... You go somewhere else because it's not safe. You're putting everybody in danger. The RCMP say this was a targeted hit. They have spoken to the victims, but they're not sharing any of those details. No information yet on the suspects, Chris, and no charges have been laid. Back to you. All right. Thanks very much, Romina. Romina Dea reporting for us. And breaking details in another shooting, a Port Coquitlam man did not take his own life during a shootout with police last week. That from the Independent Investigations Office today. Police called to a home last week after receiving reports of a distraught man firing a gun into the air. And while it was originally suggested that man died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound, we now know that's not the case. Ted Chernecki is live with more on this and what else we're learning about the IIO investigation. Ted. Yeah, Chris, the Independent Investigations Office has interviewed about six RCMP officers so far and some 30 witnesses. We spoke to some of those witnesses today, but they didn't want to go on camera. But they told us these interviews lasted about an hour and a half. And one witness told the IIO that, in fact, they saw the RCMP shoot and kill the victim. Now, as you know, as you mentioned, right after the incident on June 18th, the RCMP put out a release saying at this point it appeared that the victim had died of a self-inflicted wound. Well, clearly Clearly, both now an autopsy report and eyewitness accounts do not support that. Here's what the IIO said to some of our questions earlier this afternoon. 
The IO is investigating uh, this incident and treating it as an officer-involved shooting. Now, the focus of the investigation at this point is to determine if any officer um, may have committed any offense and if the actions of police were lawful, proportionate, and reasonable. All right, Ted, you also spoke to uh, some family. What did they have to say? Yeah, they're very upset, of course, because they both, uh, uh, there were several attempts to try and reach uh, the distraught man, uh, the son of the, of the victim. He tried to cross into uh, the area, but the police turned him around at the police tapes. He was unsuccessful and very angry about it. And then the victim's father arrived here in a truck, and uh, he wanted to try and reach out to his son as well, but apparently fell while getting out of the truck and apparently broke his shoulder, the RCMP telling him to stay where he was, and no assistance was rendered to him until much later. And uh, that, too, is now part of the IIO investigation. They're looking into whether or not the, the police behave properly there. Now, the victim, we know, was... Uh had no criminal record that we know of, uh, was very much liked by everybody that we talked to, had no criminal record, as I say, but he was very distraught because he was going through a divorce and was recently prescribed some antidepressants and some uh, anti-anxiety drugs. And, of course, it was Father's Day, had a few beers and was not thinking clearly, but the family does think they would have had an opportunity. If they would have had an opportunity, they could have talked to him and defused the situation down. Of course, the other point is the guy had shot uh, this gun this uh, several times, and, uh, and, of course, if he's... Uh, has a gun flying around and it points at an officer, you know what's going to happen. So it's going to be uh, looked at by the IIO. Certainly is, and we'll keep our eye on that investigation. Thank you very much, Ted. Smithers RCMP want people to keep an eye out for a missing cyclist. Sean David Kuntz was reported missing June 13th, four days after he set out with a plan to cycle to Saanich to visit his mother. Investigators believe there has been a confirmed sighting of Kuntz at the Caribou Visitor Center in 100 Mile House. Anyone with information about his whereabouts is asked to contact police. And Kamloops RCMP also appealing for help to find 34-year-old Clarice Krause, who left her home Friday in her white Ford Explorer, license plate 209 MLT. She's 5'4", 130 pounds. She's got blonde hair and hazel eyes. Her family's extremely concerned about her well-being. If you've seen her, you're asked to call Kamloops RCMP. Nearly a million dollars in fines have been handed out to marijuana dispensaries in Vancouver since the city started penalizing businesses without a permit. But only a fraction of that money has been collected. Jill Bennett is live with more on this. Jill, explain why the city can't get the money. Well, Chris, there's no shortage of tickets. Since they started regulating those dispensaries, almost 1,800 have been issued, only 364 have been paid. And those dispensaries that are breaking the rules, well, they're continuing to operate business as usual. Don Breer operates his five weeds stores in Vancouver. Since the city started ticketing marijuana dispensaries last year, he's had plenty of visits from bylaw officers. Oh, probably 50, 60 tickets at, at minimum. The ticket was issued June 7th. Yep. The ticket was originally a $250 fine. That bumped up to $1,000 last year. Briere has spent more than $340,000 fighting every ticket. Wouldn't it be cheaper just to pay the fines? Well, that would be admitting uh, to uh, defeat and, and that we are wrong and that they're in the right. So, no, they are in the wrong. Okay, there's, there's, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. 
But city councillors who voted to issue business licenses to dispensaries and ticket those who violate rules, such as being within 300 metres of a school, don't see it that way. Even though hundreds of tickets have been issued and only a small fraction have been paid. A lot of them we filed court injunctions against them. The problem is, is that uh, some of these injunctions have been filed over a year ago. You know, last March I think it was, and uh, we're still waiting to have court time. But Jang says it's not an extra cost to taxpayers, as city staff are already on hand to deal with bylaw infractions. Every time a staff person goes out to issue a ticket, each time one of our lawyers files an injunction, there's research that goes into that, there's hundreds of hours, and that's all being paid for on the back of the taxpayers. Back at Weeds, Breer will continue fighting the tickets, but says he'd like to see the city change the bylaw, allowing the stores to stay open. Uh, we're paying all the every single tax that there is to pay and so the only thing that we need to get is, is a license and if they have uh, the 200 meter rule then we would have a license and then we wouldn't have to worry about this. So while the city is now saying it's a lack of court time which is causing the fact causing them not to be able to collect on these tickets, dispensary owners we talked to today say in some cases their stores are still receiving two $1,000 tickets a week and they have no intention of paying. As for the dispensary behind me, it got four tickets before being told it's one of 27 dispensaries now the subject of a court injunction. They too are going to stay in operations at least until they have that court date. Chris? All right. We'll see what happens down the road. Thanks very much. Jill Bennett reporting. Property flipping is taking off again in Vancouver. Industry experts say it's part of the reason behind the current red-hot condo market. John Waugh explains the other factors at work and why we're not seeing the same trend in the detached market. First-time buyers already feel like the condo market is passing them by. You don't really know what you're getting into because you can look at a listing price and then you end up getting four or five offers, and it goes for, you know, $100,000, $150,000 over ask. Imagine their frustration when you add property flipping to the fray. For, like, people that are looking to, to buy and hold, I think it's, it is a little bit disheartening. According to Suretsky, nearly 5% of Vancouver condos sold in 2017 were owned for less than a year. Nearly 11% sold within two years of purchase. And when it comes to Vancouver's condo market, it's a perfect storm that's causing prices to increase because you just don't have speculators that are hoping to stake their claim. You also have first-time homebuyers trying to get into the market, and they're competing against downsizers who have plenty of cash to compete. So for first-time buyers, it's extremely difficult right now. Flipping Fortune House boosting the sale price $41,000 in 11 months. Citadel Parade raking in a profit of $120,000 in an even shorter period. But experts say not everyone was in it to flip it. Now... Is that people who bought intending to flip? Or is it people who bought and said, oh my God, I made all this money, now I'm going to trade up? That we don't know. What they do know, some of them are defectors from the detached home market, which saw 3.5% fewer flips in the last year. There's a bit of a chicken and egg problem. Which came first, the flippers or the price increases? Because when you get people into the market who are looking to make a quick buck, they push up prices. Both are on the rise in a condo market that's showing no signs of cooling down. John Hua, Global News. On the topic of condos, check this out. A new tower slated to go up in Surrey with a high-tech edge that will change the city skyline. Concord Pacific says it's building Canada's first interactive illuminated tower. The Park Boulevard will light up in sync with passing sky trains at King George Station. 
The tower is expected to be 41 stories. Concord says the LED lighting faces commercial buildings and parks so as not to disturb neighbors. It will also be fully dimmable. A wildfire causing a sleepless night for dozens of guests of a bed and breakfast near Penticton. You could see the flames coming up and you could see the red. Flames broke out on the east side of Skaha Lake around 11 o'clock last night. 28 guests and 10 staff at the God's Mountain Retreat south of Penticton were forced out, but the owner stayed behind to save her mountainside property. How could I leave this without a really good fight? <laughs> I'm not going down without a fight. We, we got up on the roofs and we were soaking everything. Then we had the, these, we have these fire hydrants there. They're all the way around the house. Thankfully, forestry crews managed to quickly contain the fire and the community rallied to make sure everyone had a place to stay. And here's a quick look at the fire danger rating map for the province. A chunk in the middle there, the red, largely in the caribou, rated extreme. And much of the rest of the province is already moderate to high. The wheels are officially in motion to bring down the provincial government. And it all started today with the tabling of a non-confidence motion. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria. And Keith, NDP leader John Horgan actually read that motion aloud for the press corps this afternoon. Yeah, a bit unusual, but, you know, everything's unusual right now, Chris. We're in, I don't know how many times we talked about uncharted waters. Uh, but, yeah, the, the tension's starting to mount here. You can feel it. Uh, John Horgan today, we caught up with him walking down the corridor on his way into the house and asked him what he had in his hand. He had that un, uh, the non-confidence motion. He's going to be moving, and we asked him to read it aloud. Here's uh, John Horgan, probably the next premier, and the current premier's argument why the throne speech before the house should be uh, voted on and for. Uh, I move, seconded by Sonia Personneau, MLA Couch and Valley, uh, that the motion for the address to the reply for the, for the speech from the throne be amended by adding the following words, but her honour's present government does not have the confidence of this House. If they want to get on with the business of government, we should make sure that the throne speech passes. We don't risk an election. No British Columbians want another election. Uh, we got an example, an early example today, what's going to happen on Thursday, the confidence vote. The, the government actually tabled two bills. Uh, both of these bills failed to get first reading support. Never happened before in B.C. history, Chris. This one would have recognized the Green Party as an official political party, a party status. This one would have banned union and corporate donations from political parties. Both failed on first reading. Again, unprecedented. The confidence vote set for Thursday about 5.30, and we could sell tickets to it down here because I think it's going to be a packed house. Sounds like it. All right, Keith, thanks very much. We'll check in with you a little bit later. It's considered one of the ultimate tests of human endurance, but Pemberton residents can't take it anymore. The Ironman Triathlon is based in Whistler, but the biking portion of the event takes place around Pemberton. A recent survey shows 80% of respondents there don't want it back. Why they say it's more trouble than it's worth and what it means for the future of the event in just over a minute. Dramatic pictures out of a resort town in Colombia. A tourist boat sinks in only minutes. What may have caused this tragedy just ahead on the news hour. And new details about this scare aboard an AirAsia flight. What caused the plane to shake so violently for two hours? That's later. Now, though, it's an incredible race that attracts hundreds of athletes and thousands of spectators every year. But there are rumblings this might be the last year Whistler hosts Ironman Canada. 
Grace Key is in Pemberton tonight where there is growing opposition. And Grace, locals say the headaches far outweigh the economic benefit. Behind me is the main road through Pemberton. It is shut down for part of the day because of the event, and that is providing some grief for local businesses and residents. It's the busy lunch rush at Grimm's Gourmet and Deli in Pemberton. Next month, they won't be serving up any sandwiches when Iron Man rolls into town. It's one of a number of businesses that shuts down for the day. But they're a billion-dollar corporation. We're just this little tiny company trying to make it work. And the real people that are being hurt are the employees. And if there was some way that they could figure out how to make it work for, for our staff, I'd be a happy camper. Not even the local hotel cashes in on the world-class event. It's not that busy for us uh, because the roads get blocked right in front of the hotel. Uh, it's a liquor store and the uh, hotel is not doing that well, to be honest. Parts of Highway 99 and the main road in Pemberton are shut down for parts of the day and residents along one stretch can't get out of their driveways during the closure. You're stuck at your house for, for the entire day. You can't leave your house. The village conducted a recent survey asking residents if the event provided benefits to the community. 76% said no, and less than half said they still wouldn't support the event even if Ironman provided a legacy or donation. We're trying to put the best best decision together possible, and we'll be having a special council meeting tomorrow morning to discuss it further. The organization is addressing cycling safety concerns with signs and education videos. It provides $50,000 to nonprofits, will offer shuttle service, and spotlight Pemberton and marketing materials. But when it comes to roads, they will remain closed both directions. A full road closure is what's safest, not only for the athletes, but for the local residents. This is the last year for a five-year contract with Ironman, and negotiations are underway for a new deal. Chris? All right. Thanks very much, Grace Key, reporting in Pemberton. Well, first Dieselgate, now another emerging embarrassment for Volkswagen. I thought they're going to do the right thing here, and it was just a great big no. Why the owners had to ask Consumer Matters to step in before they got any satisfaction for a failed fuel pump. And travel ban fight. U.S. President Donald Trump scores a partial victory. Another successful outcome for a case that's been brought to the attention of our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrew. And this one deals with a car problem you've seen before, and you helped solve it again, too. That's right, Chris. Thank you. We continue to hear from Volkswagen customers about issues around the high-pressure fuel pump. Several motorists have been hit with a repair bill in the thousands with no help from VW Canada until we began investigating. But the situation also got us asking, when is a class-action lawsuit worth pursuing? I thought they're going to do the right thing here, and it was just a great big no. That was the reaction Katrina Vanderswan says she received from VW Canada when she approached the automaker after her high-pressure fuel pump failed. Back in January, Katrina says she was driving her diesel 2011 Jetta TDI Highline when out of nowhere the warning light started flashing and the engine lost power. The Abbotsford resident eventually told her high-pressure fuel pump had failed, sending metal fragments throughout the fuel system and the cost of the repair in the thousands. Your car's no longer under warranty, and it's about close to a $9,000 repair. What's worse, Katrina's vehicle is part of the emission scandal, which means if the car is inoperable, she won't be eligible to sell it back to VW. 
She turned to Consumer Matters for help. After we investigated, VW Canada told Global News the vehicle needed to be further inspected. It eventually reversed its decision, paying for the entire cost of the repair. Without the help of you guys, I would still have a hunk of metal sitting in my driveway and, uh, you know, nowhere else to turn. There are people out there in the same situation as me that are calling for another class action lawsuit to cover this problem. But when is a class action for a particular vehicle part worth pursuing? This class action lawyer says there is much to consider. Well, a few things make a class action viable. One is that the issue is common across the board. Everyone's experienced the problem and they've experienced it in a similar way. Uh, Two, there has to be a high number of people that have this issue. So if there's five or six people that are experiencing issues in their vehicle with this one car part, um, it's probably not going to be economically viable for a class action to be brought in Canada. Also, pursuing a class action can be a lengthy process. Yes, we might be able to get people compensation back. But in the meantime, right now, if you want to drive your car, you have to fix it and you have to pay for that. So again, the first step in a class action is deciding if pursuing one is appropriate. It typically involves a large number of affected consumers who band together, contact a law firm and an expert to determine if there is a legitimate case. Again, there is so much to consider here. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's all my information. You can email me at consumermatters@globalnews.ca. When no one can help and can. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. And Stranded in the middle of turbulent rapids. A dramatic helicopter rescue caught on camera. And probiotics are a billion-dollar industry included in hundreds of supplements, but do they really work? What the experts say, coming up. Canadian makes history in London today. Captain Megan Couto has become the first female to lead a changing of the Queen's Guard at Buckingham Palace, the first Canadian female. Her unit of the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry was invited to London as part of the Canada 150 celebrations. The 24-year-old Couto is based at CFB Shiloh, Manitoba. Congratulations to her. Sentencing has been handed down for the Ontario nurse convicted of killing eight seniors in her care. Elizabeth Wetlaufer admitted to injecting her victims with insulin and believed she was an instrument of God. The judge today sentenced her to 25 years in prison with no chance of parole. That's brought some closure for the victims' families. My dad is smiling down on us right now, saying thank you. Thank you. Whatever made her come forward and admit that she was guilty. In a statement today, Wetlaufer apologized for her crimes. A partial victory today for U.S. President Donald Trump and his travel ban. The U.S. Supreme Court has ruled that the government can begin enforcing at least part of the restrictions that focused on predominantly Muslim nations. For the first time in five months, a legal win, at least a partial one, for President Trump after a series of setbacks that blocked enforcement of his executive order on travel. The court granted his appeal of two lower court decisions against it and said some of it can now be enforced. A 90-day pause on issuing visas for travel to the U.S. from six Muslim countries associated with terrorism. 
The White House has insisted that to protect national security, it must use the pause to assess the reliability of background information provided by those countries on visa applicants. A clear victory, President Trump says, adding, I cannot allow people into our country who want to do us harm. The court was unanimous on agreeing to take up the president's appeals, but by a vote of six to three, it agreed with the lower courts that the travel ban cannot be enforced against anyone seeking a visa who has a close relative here or wants to come here to study or teach, or is coming here to accept a job offer. That means anyone in those categories can still apply for a visa. That's why the challengers say this is a legal win for them. President Trump, you can't enforce the refugee ban. You can't enforce the Muslim ban against those people who are connected to the United States, which has always been the heart of our challenge. Three of the court's conservatives, Justices Thomas Alito and Gorsuch, said they would have allowed the entire executive order to be enforced with no exceptions. Groups sponsoring refugees from the six countries say it's not all good news for them. I think we're most concerned about individuals who perhaps do not have any ties or family relationships to the United States of America and what it's going to mean for them. The travel restrictions last only 90 days and the court won't hear the case until October. By then, the case could be dismissed as moot, no longer a live controversy. A dramatic river rescue in Northern California has been caught on camera. Okay, I'm going to start to lower. Okay. A man on a rock in the middle of a raging river had been swept downstream from an area known as Emerald Pools over the weekend. He managed to grab onto the rock just a short distance from a 15-meter waterfall. His girlfriend, who was also stranded on a ledge in the same area, was also rescued by helicopter a short time later. A dramatic scene when a tourist boat carrying about 150 people sank on a lake northeast of Medellin, Colombia Sunday. Dozens of pleasure craft rushed over to try to help, but the boat went under in just a matter of minutes, killing at least seven people. Nine others are still missing. Witnesses say the boat appeared to be overloaded and that no one was wearing a life vest. Survivors described hearing a loud explosion near the men's bathroom a few minutes after the boat began its cruise. Well, it's never a good situation when the pilot of an airliner appeals for prayers from his passengers. But that's exactly what happened when a flight from Perth, Australia, began shaking violently for the better part of two hours until the pilot could make it back over land to make an emergency landing. For the passengers on board AirAsia 237, a terrifying flight as a malfunctioning engine violently shook the plane from nose to tail. The captain appealing for prayers and calm. To everything. Our depends on your it's a cultural thing, but it is not something that I would have done. My, uh, my point would have been to reassure the passengers that everything was under control. The Airbus A330 carrying 359 people had departed Perth, Australia for Malaysia. Suddenly, at 38,000 feet, a compressor fan blade in the left side engine fractured and broke apart, spewing pieces of metal throughout the engine and causing significant damage. This photo shows the missing blade and the damage to the surrounding blades. The crew quickly shut the engine down, but the airflow caused the fan to continue spinning, sending violent vibrations through the plane as it flew safely back to Perth on a single engine, something all twin-engine planes are designed for. Be able to, you know, be just going to go down. AirAsia says it's conducting an investigation with engine manufacturer Rolls-Royce. 
Engine failures are rare and usually not as serious as last October's explosion of fire on an American 767 in Chicago. Everybody got off safely. Among the questions tonight, why did the pilot fly all the way back to Perth rather than divert to a closer airfield? Tom Costello, NBC News, Washington. They promised cures for disease, improved digestive health, even a clearer complexion. More and more North Americans are consuming probiotics in foods and supplements. But are they really the miracle cure for all that ails you? Two-week probiotic challenge. These days you can't turn on the TV or walk down a supermarket aisle without being bombarded by probiotic promises. Feel like a billion. The so-called good bacteria in almost everything from fruit juice to expensive supplements. An almost $40 billion industry. Your regular size? Okay, you got it. Business is booming for Megan and Shane Carpenter. Every month we're growing. Who make probiotic-rich fermented foods like kimchi, sauerkraut, and kombucha, which they claim has helped their own health. How did you feel when you started eating fermented foods? The more I incorporated fermented foods, the more energy I did have. Studies have shown probiotics may be effective for digestive problems caused by antibiotics and irritable bowel syndrome. But doctors caution there isn't enough scientific evidence they improve other conditions, like urinary tract infections or allergies. There's no question that the community of bacteria in our bodies is so important to our health. It's just that right now the science isn't where we need it to be in terms of telling us what we need to actually take. Do you take a probiotic? No, I don't. Dr. Linda Lee tells her patients just eat a healthy, fiber-rich diet. Probiotic supplements aren't regulated by the FDA. Research shows some have fewer probiotics than advertised or strains other than what's on the label. And watch for added sugar in probiotic-rich foods like yogurt. Doctors say probiotics probably won't hurt, but whether they're a miracle cure or marketing hype may come down to trusting your own gut. Cheers. (laughs) Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News, Baltimore, Maryland. East Vancouver's infamous crow, Canuck, is at it again. Where the bird's adventures have taken him this time. But first, a proposal that's going viral. Why he got down on his knee not once, but twice. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A romantic proposal, but this one has a twist. What made it so memorable for everyone involved right after Christie's forecast. And a lot of people still buzzing about that sunset last night, Christy. Yes. We've got another beautiful one tonight, I would bet. I do. It's a weather window actually from a 13-year-old that you'll, uh, you'll love, Chris. Uh, mini heat wave came to an end today. Mother Nature got a breeze going and cooled things down. Thanks so much because it was hot. Record-breaking weekend. 11 records broken on Saturday, 7 on Sunday. And Canada's hot spot today was Ashcroft at 34 degrees. And it was yesterday as well at 38 degrees. And that was the the hottest temperature that we saw all weekend long. Incredible conditions this weekend. This is the uh, the highs that are out there right now. 21, 22 degrees near the water. Inland regions at 26. Yesterday, though, they were at 35 degrees. So we've dropped by a good 9 degrees across many areas. And uh, the areas in the interior haven't seen that drop, but they will tomorrow. So the breeze pushing on to the south coast, and that will shift inland and cool things off for those of you in the interior tomorrow by a good oh, 5 
five, six degrees uh, will be the temperature difference. Now, we had some lightning strikes across the south coast today out in the Strait of Georgia. Brief, but there were a few showers. That has shifted in through that southeastern corner. You can see quite a bit of action there. No severe thunderstorm watches or warnings in effect. We are also watching an upper-level low shift into the BC Peace River area. So, for those of you there, tomorrow, periods of rain, mostly through the overnight period and tomorrow morning, easing off to just a chance of showers in the afternoon, but you also have a risk of thunderstorms at that time. Meanwhile, the rest of the province, we'll see dry conditions, some cloud cover across the north coast, but down through the south, sunny and beautiful. Check out these temperatures. Pleasant, 26 in Kelowna, 28 degrees in through Kamloops, 28 in Kalasilgar. And for the south coast, we'll see a range for Metro Vancouver, 21 to 24 degrees. These are slightly above average for this time of year, but uh, terrific conditions for summer. And we are going to continue with summer-like weather for the next couple of days, right into our Canada Day, Chris. So lots of sunshine, just a little bit of cloud cover. And I wanted to mention, I know you mentioned this earlier, but fire danger rating. A lot of people getting outside. We've got extreme rating in through the Caribou, the Chilcotin, the Thompson, the Nicola, and the, Tom, uh, I said that already, the Thompson area. Uh, but um, keep that in mind in all other areas, still at a you know moderate level for much of the province now. Happy birthday to Iris Stagel. She turned 103 and two women turning 100, Mary Hellam and Lorraine LeBlanc. And here's our weather window. Spectacular sunset. We had lots of photos sent in, but I picked this one from Carson, 13-year-old who got out of bed to practice what he's loving right now, photography and beautiful sunset. Absolutely beautiful. Thanks very much. And our apologies to everybody in Ashcroft for the misspelling. We'll get it corrected. <gasps> Don't worry. Here's a sweet story now about a man who proposed not once, but twice in the same day to two different people. But you'll understand what we mean. After six months of dating, Grant Tribbett took his girlfriend, Cassandra, and her five-year-old daughter to the park. With a photographer hiding in the trees, Grant got down on one knee and asked Cassandra to marry him. She said yes. But then he got down on one knee again, this time turning to little Adriana, and asked if he could be her daddy promised to love and protect her for uh, all time. She said yes, and then that's when uh, she screamed, I finally get a daddy, I finally get a daddy, mommy, and then she gave me a big hug. It feels happy, but it almost made me cry, but I can't, but it, um, I was still happy. Oh, the couple's planning a December wedding, and yes, Adriana will be the flower girl. How nice. An unexpected twist to a weather forecast in Ireland has left people around the world in stitches. It began smoothly enough for TV3 weatherman Derek Hardigan Friday morning as he was talking about a storm that was hitting Dublin. That's when Mother Nature took over. All your photos, put a bit of smoke on your face. The weatherman's colleagues back at the station got a great kick out of his Gone with the Wind performance. The YouTube video has already been seen more than two million times since it was posted on Friday. Awesome. Have you anything like has anything yes. like that ever happened to you? I was just thinking about it when I worked in Edmonton, and um, it happened to me because they put me outside every day in hail and you know yeah. every kind of weather. Anyways, I actually had it in my demo reel when I came here. That was that's what got me hired. Yeah, yeah that's right. We knew you could handle anything. Yeah, throw exactly. Mother Nature too. I Squires see here. The man bun is allowed on television. <laughs> yes, How yes, it is. In Dublin, anyway. All right. So they had the Hall of Fame announcement today for mm -hmm. the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. Some BC boys were given a spot in the Hockey Hall of Fame today. The Hall is pleased to welcome all Korea. 
but Korea isn't the only one of ours going in. Mark Recchi also got a call from the hall. All right, the latest also from the antics of Canuck the Crow. Wait until you see why they can't keep him out of this McDonald's restaurant. You know what? All plugged in. My chair's in. backwards. That's the that problem. Was the it didn't problem. feel right. Felt all askew. Could give me a back issue. Okay, you ready? Take it away. Three men with big BC connections are in the Hockey Hall of Fame. They announced the newest inductees at noon hour time today. Both players and builders. I'm going to start with a builder here, Claire Drake, because he graduated from UBC back in the 50s. He ended up being one of the greatest university coaches of all time at the University of Alberta. The other two with BC Connections were born and raised here. They are on the players list. And here is the players list. Mark Recchi and Paul Correa. I'll talk more about them in a moment. No surprise, Timu Solani. This was his first year of eligibility. He is in. Dave Anderchuk scored over 600 goals, but he had to wait a few years to get in the Hall of Fame, and the great Daniel Goyette is also in the Hall of Fame. Back to the BC boys. You knew North fans Paul Correa was really good before he got to the NHL. Penticton in the BCHL, University of Maine, best player in the NCAA. So many great years, mainly with Anaheim. Career, unfortunately, cut short because of concussion problems. And then Mark Recchi of Kamloops, three-time Stanley Cup winner as a player, also has a couple of more working with the Penguins the last two seasons, was a BCHL player as well, and also a Western Hockey League star, and won the Stanley Cup against the Canucks in 2011. Went into the BC Sports Hall of Fame recently. Too. Yes, we, 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 uh, we put him in there. Mm -hmm. Well, not <laughs> us personally, but we were there to announce him. Every year the Hall of Fame announcement is more about, uh, or is as much about who didn't get in as who did get in. And there were a few left off today. Daniel Alfredson, he'll get in eventually. It was his first year of eligibility. But how about this guy? Alex McGilney, he's been kept out by voters for a few years now. And I see why some are against him, but I lean towards getting this guy in one day. The anti-Alexanders say his stats aren't quite up to the uh, qualifications of the Hall of Fame. But those making the case for him can point to the fact he averaged over a point a game in his career, once had 76 goals in one season, like Solani. Stanley Cup winner, world championship winner, Olympic gold medalist. So, the triple crown of international hockey. And Pat Quinn once said, when I asked him, who's the most talented player he ever coached? He said Alexander McGildy was the most talented player he ever coached. Hey, two years ago, i got to say this. Two years ago, it looked like former Canucks Zach Cassian had ruined his career. But he got a last chance offer by the Oilers, and he has completely turned things around today. He signed a three-year contract with Edmonton. It's going to pay him just under $2 million per season. Good for him. Give him credit. The big man got his act together, and it's good to see. He's a good guy, and he is now very much a part of that up-and-coming Oilers team. Mm -hmm. The first thing you look for when someone is returning a punt or a kickoff for a touchdown is a flag. It's an automatic that you expect the negative because traversing your way through 11 or 12 angry men depending on what league you're playing in, is one of the hardest things to do in football. And sometimes it only happens because somebody put out an illegal block for you. The Lions had a big return in their opening game against Edmonton, flagged down because of an illegal block. Illegal block, BC, number 41. 10-yard penalty, first down, BC. There is not a bigger buzzkill in football than a penalty wiping out a spectacular play, especially a penalty that is easily avoided. The rule is pretty simple. You cannot block or push an opponent in the back, but it seems to happen on almost every return. 
you see uh, somebody back turn, don't touch them at all. It's just a picture of a stop sign. And that's the number one thing you got to know in football always and all that. But you always have a couple of knuckleheads on each team. And you always get at least probably two calls of blocking in the back for every game. You know, when you see the person's back, turn around and go to the bench. You know, don't even try to make a block or, you know, turn back and pick up somebody else. Me personally, when I look back on it, I should just let up instead of trying to hustle and try to make something happen. But definitely uh, go back to the drawing board and uh, make sure I correct that mistake. No one feels worse than the guy who cost the team a touchdown, but you have to learn from it. Returns are chaotic at the best of times, but having the discipline to do nothing is often the best decision of all. It's one of those things you definitely stay up at night and you're like, ah, you know, you, you play that play over and over, right? And you wish it didn't happen. So uh, hopefully we can all learn from this and, and go from there. I wish I had time to, to go to him and be like, hey, don't do it, and then keep running, but hey. <laughs> You're pretty fast, though. I think maybe you could pull that off. I probably could. Look <laughs> out, Chris Brady, and no one's going to catch him. Brady, touchdown. But there is a flag. But having exciting return touchdowns nullified by bad penalties is no laughing matter. It can literally cost you games. It's all about focus. Can't be texting and driving at the same time, and... Uh, when you get those kind of penalties, you know, basically that's what you're doing. And uh, unfortunately, uh, in the CFL anyways, you always get caught. We have to learn from those things. We can't keep, you know, kicking ourselves in the foot like that. And we just got to continue trying to do uh, the best we can to help the team. Very Delay Global Sports. They're happy in New Zealand tonight, not because of rugby. Mm. New Zealand won the America's Cup. This is a big sailing event. Yes, yes. Oh. So New Zealand are the champs again. There oh. you go. Thanks very much, Squire. You're welcome. Checking out with Jay Durant for a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jay. Thank you, Chris. We're on the scene of a fire in East Vancouver. The fire broke out at one home on Commercial Drive and quickly spread to another nearby. We're still waiting for more details, but there is some happy news to share. Firefighters were able to rescue the family's cat. Also tonight, we'll hear from the city on a new program that will see electric car drivers paying for a charge. That's tonight at 11, Chris. All right, Jay. Thanks very much. Canuck the Crow has got to go, a chant you may be hearing at a McDonald's soon. Stick around for that story. Boy, he's just a very, he's a very unusual bird. Hmm. Canuck the Crow, if you haven't heard, is the East Vancouver mascot who continues to pop up in unlikely places, proving just how resourceful he is. He's been spotted on SkyTrain, he even picked mm -hmm. up a knife at a crime scene. Got a knife? A knife. <laughs> Now he's even figured out how to get into a McDonald's restaurant where he's been helping himself to the food. Jeff Hastings reports. It doesn't take long to find Canuck the Crow. The avian mayor of East Vancouver regularly holds court on a tree-lined street. Oh, he's so popular since <laughs> last night. He said no news. I know, but he's crazy. He'll actually lift the pant leg to expose the shoelace to untie it. Canuck is friendly, but that's only part of his rise to fame. He has a tendency to venture out, sometimes to places crows don't normally go, like the McDonald's on Hastings Sunday morning. I'm scared. So he hopped onto people's table, got a bit too excited here and there. So uh, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think that it was uh, harming anyone, but it was funny just to see the reaction. Strutting along ledges, hopping to tables. This isn't his first foray into the fast food joint. He usually enters through automatic doors, held open for longer. He isn't always welcome, and he's often misunderstood. 
lights and just like held it up like it was like Simba or something, you know, or like the torch and the Liberty statue. And it was like, she was like giving it to the employees and the employees were like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? It was a return to the scene of a crime for Canuck, who's becoming Vancouver's unofficial official bird. The crow catapulted to international fame after stealing a knife from a police incident outside the same McDonald's last year. <laughs> Are you serious? Ow! <laughs> He's fierce but mostly friendly, a point lost on Canada Post, which has suspended some mail service on Canuck Street until nesting season is done and he stops dive-bombing letter carriers. The neighbours know to keep the doors and windows closed. Jeff Hastings, Global News.